Over 7,000 have been killed in Gaza in the last 20 days, almost half of whom are children, in what is correctly described as a genocide against a caged population. The massacres on civilian targets like hospitals, churches, mosques, and even United Nations shelters has been completely facilitated by the Biden White House, not just American bombs and military funding, much of which goes right back to the bank accounts of American war profiteers, but the unconditional political support given by Washington has greenlit Israel to do literally whatever it wants, no matter how criminal, without the slightest criticism. And in fact, completely making shit up to shield them from criticism. Biden himself, along with all the heads of the State Department and Pentagon, all flew to Israel to give their stamp of approval on the mass killing that would continue. But their support goes beyond even that. The Pentagon is literally providing a military shield so that Israel can carry out the genocide unimpeded. On October 15th, Biden deployed two entire aircraft carriers and their fleets of supporting ships to the Mediterranean. For some scale context, no other country in the world even has more than two aircraft carriers. The U.S. possesses 11, China 2, and Russia 1. So big show of force in the region sending two aircraft carriers there. The stated reason for this deployment is, quote, a deterrent to ensure the conflict does not expand, end quote. Which really means two things. One, that those U.S. sailors are being used to protect Israel while they commit war crimes of historic proportions. And two, that the U.S. is willing to engage in large-scale combat, sacrificing American lives in the process, if any country does decide to try to intervene on behalf of the besieged Palestinian population. Not sure most Americans would sign off on that, but here we are. All of this, in the early days of the Israeli onslaught, has been setting the stage for something bigger. Washington has been well aware that their role in such a brazenly criminal campaign could carry a high potential for blowback, a risk Biden and the State Department have been willing to take, since they, of course, won't be the ones on the receiving end of the attacks. And, as they expected, those attacks have started. On October 19th, a U.S. destroyer in the Red Sea intercepted four cruise missiles and 15 attack drones in a period of nine hours. Launched from Houthi forces in Yemen, Navy officials claim they were directed at Israel while they happened to be passing by and were just lucky enough to intercept them, but who really knows? What we do know is four times in the past couple weeks, U.S. occupying forces in Syria have been attacked. There are usually about 900 U.S. troops there. But things have really popped off in Iraq, where there are usually about 2,500 U.S. troops. Twelve times since the Gaza onslaught, U.S. troops have been hit with strikes. The Pentagon reported 21 service members have been wounded so far. So expecting more blowback, the Pentagon just rushed 900 additional U.S. troops to the two countries. They also announced they were increasing patrols, which of course opened them up to more attacks. Other moves are brewing as well. A source of mine on active duty in the 82nd Airborne Division told me that units have been quickly turning in old equipment and exchanging it for new gear as well as canceling scheduled training missions, which are standard signs of readiness for a deployment. Iran has talked tough, their foreign minister telling the United Nations that the U.S. would, quote, not be spared from this fire, end quote, if it continues to facilitate the Gaza genocide. But so far, they have been restrained and not responded. That comes in the context of the shocking restraint Iran showed doing a mostly symbolic retaliation after Trump assassinated the most popular figure in Iran under the guise of a peace meeting. But that patience can't be expected to last forever, especially when the U.S. and Israel are throwing gasoline on the fire beyond their horrors against civilians in Gaza. The Intercept revealed last year that the U.S. is waging a secret war in Lebanon. Then Biden admitted over the summer that close to 100 U.S. Special Operations troops were operating in Lebanon. 
Last weekend, the State Department urged U.S. citizens to leave Lebanon immediately, aware of the potential conflict that could break out over their actions. Israel and their belligerence has made that danger much higher. Nobody has talked about this, but as Beirut-based journalist Rania Kalik told me, at least 57 Hezbollah soldiers have been killed by Israeli shelling into Lebanon since October 7th. That's a lot of soldiers, to which the Iran-allied group has issued no retaliatory strikes. A tinderbox for the U.S. military on multiple fronts, the Pentagon has just thrown in a match. At 7 p.m. Pacific time on October 26, the Secretary of Defense issued a statement that, at President Biden's direction, the U.S. bombed two bases in Syria they say are used by the Iranian Revolutionary Guard and its affiliates. In his statement, he says, quote, the U.S. has no intention or desire to engage in further hostilities, but we will not hesitate to take further measures necessary to protect our people. The statement also says the attacks are, quote, separate and distinct from the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas and do not constitute a shift in our approach to the Israel-Hamas conflict. We continue to urge all state and non-state entities not to take action that would escalate into a broader regional conflict, end quote. Yeah, totally. It has nothing to do with what's going on over there. And this means Biden may have just killed a bunch of Iranian soldiers based on the unproven accusation that Iran had something to do with the attacks, which, if the Pentagon is warning against escalation, seems like a pretty big escalation on their part. So the constant reference to escalating into a broader regional conflict demonstrates that this is a major gamble Washington is making. Gambling with your lives, of course, those of you in the active duty, reserves, and National Guard. Two failed and catastrophic wars in the Middle East that define the last two decades are not enough of a deterrent, apparently, for the White House to hedge such a bet. If more U.S. forces are wounded, if any die, and if this does indeed spiral into a regional conflict, which could be bigger than anything we've seen in the modern era, it will be for one reason. America protecting Israel while they commit a textbook genocide. Today, we'll discuss why this is no cause for U.S. service members to risk their lives for, why you'd be totally justified in finding a way out at this point, and a few solid options you have to do that on this episode of Eyes Left. A wholly unjustified and brutal invasion of Iraq. I mean, of Ukraine. (laughs) Iraq. Iraq. I'm a hawk. I would have picked up arms myself to prevent 9-11 again. As president, I wanted to give myself the Congressional Medal of Honor, but they wouldn't let me do it. They wouldn't let me do it. I said, I'm going to give myself the kick. I've always wanted that. We just flew B-52, B-1 bombers in the South China Sea. We're not going to pay attention. I'm joined again by former Staff Sergeant and Green Beret, Evan Brown. Evan, thanks for joining me again. Yeah, no worries. So uh, many people have seen that photo that was... Uh, improperly posted by the Bi- the White House's like Instagram of Biden meeting with some like Delta Force guys in Israel, mm-hmm. and then they like posted the photos of everyone, which was like a big uh, opsec failure. And then they like quickly deleted it, but the photo's already out there. Uh, you knew someone in that photo, huh? I did, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, and uh, yeah, that was I was not expecting that at all. You know, to like to see to see that. Uh, I knew someone over there that was, yeah, it was right. pretty shocking. So then I was kind of like, uh, cause I, I know, I knew he had like moved on, you know, right. um, from, uh, special forces, you know, from first group, but yeah, I, I never, I never thought I'd see him again ever in my life, let alone like, you know, 
knowing that he's over there in Israel. <laughs> yeah. So those were so those were Delta Force guys in that photo. Yeah, that's my understanding. Um, and uh, and so what are they what are they doing in Israel? Yeah, you know. So I I mean. I know a part of like what they'll do is like, um, you know, presidential protection type stuff, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so I do think that's probably a big part of why they were over there. Um, mm. you know, uh, cause in, in special forces anyway, you know, I never, I was never out in Okinawa, but they have like the crisis reaction teams. They've changed the name or force they've changed mm. the, but like, they're like the most like, highly trained like CQB guys in SF and mm -hmm. they'll get, they'll get called to like support. They'll do a lot of like that presidential support stuff. Um, when the president visit, visits like Asia right. and stuff. Right. And I'm just wondering if, yeah, maybe they went with uh CAG just because of the, the what's currently happening. Mm -hmm. Um, right. You know, higher because, need like, for security. Yeah. I mean, the only other reason I could think that they'd be there is they'd be like, you know, yeah, we'll help you with hostage rescue. Like, I mean, that's kind of like. Well, yeah, there has there yeah. have been reports that they're they're advising mm -hmm. uh, Israel on hostage rescue stuff. Which um, I'm not sure Israel's very interested in hostage rescue. In fact, it's we know now that from many several of the hostages that have been released uh, say that many of the hostages were killed by Israeli forces who were just kind mm. of wantonly like bombarding uh, areas where it, buildings yeah. where Hamas was, where there was I large numbers of hostages, just like unloading tons of tank rounds on it. And so we don't know how many, but we know a large number of the civilian deaths were hostages that Israel just killed in the onslaught, which is which is standard. I mean, they did this during the, the Gaza war. I think it was in the 2014 war. There was an Israeli soldier who was captured. And so the protocol is called like the Hannibal Directive. But like the protocol in the Israeli military is if a soldier gets captured on the battlefield, you just lay waste to the entire area and kill everyone, including the hostage. So it's very different than like American military of like yeah, yeah. no soldier left behind, like all that shit, where it's like you risk whatever you got to risk to go get someone who's captured. Israel's the opposite. They're like, no, if someone gets captured, make sure they die and everyone within like a mile square, square mile of, of them dies also. So it seems that they're taking that approach with some of the hostages. Yeah, right. I guess that's like a weird reversal of like no soldier being left behind. It's just like instead of actually recovering the person, you're just like, no, they they don't exist anymore. So they're yeah, we're gonna <laughs> they're not um, there at all anymore. So we didn't leave anyone behind. It's to disincentivize the enemy from taking hostages. If you think that if you take a hostage, everyone will be killed, then yeah. you know what's the point of taking hostages? Um, but anyways, yeah. So I don't know if you've heard much else from from guys that you've talked to. Uh, I know we both reached out to, to our friends on active duty, but no, yeah, I don't know if you've I, heard any buzz. No, um, I did, I did have a buddy who's, um, in, uh, the, uh, special forces national guard who was apparently mm. put on like a 24 hour notice type thing. Um, right. and then, and then was called, called off of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, as far I mean, I haven't heard anything from anyone that like, I still know in first group and right. I mean, you know, uh, and uh, unless it turns into some bigger regional thing, I mean, it's not going to be something first group's going to be dealing with anyway, because that right. whole uh, that whole AO is fifth group. So right. Well, let's. Um, we know that the the Pentagon is worried about and is preparing for blowback in in some kind of way. Uh, there's been articles about this quote unquote mutiny stirring within the State Department, where many members of the State Department are drafting like a, a letter 
that's uh, confrontational towards Blinken and President Biden um, about the Israel policy. Uh, not because I think that the State Department people like suddenly grew a conscience and are like, oh my God, it's terrible that we're killing all these innocent civilians. Yeah, but right. I think you that there's a the State Department. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, I think there's, I mean, there has been one resignation of mm. someone in the State Department over it. I think there's a recognition among that milieu that like, this is not in our quote unquote national security interests, mm-hmm. uh, which includes the fact that this is, opens up, you know, the, the U.S. Has a, has a grand plan right now and that's to confront China. And that's the grand plan. And like the pivot away from the Middle East, the Asia pivot under, all this was like, we're get out of these bogged down wars in the Middle East. That was what was behind getting out of Afghanistan, all that shit. Yeah. So there's an acknowledgement that this what's happening now could very likely reverse that grand plan of the U.S., open U.S. forces up to not just attacks where people get injured and killed, which, you know, they don't care too much about, but of that spiraling into something bigger. So they know that that potential is there, which we should talk about. uh, But first, let's talk about why there's the potential for blowback, because what's going on in Gaza is absolutely horrific i mean yeah it's terrible i think the last um the last update that i saw you know like four hours before recording this is that the number of palestinian children killed by israeli airstrikes just in the past two weeks is up to 2700 340 in the past 24 hours 900 children are missing uh awaiting rescue underneath rubble of buildings and so that number could grow by you know, a thousand by the time people hear this, which is just an unconscionable number. It's, I think the the worst Gaza war, there was like 400 something children killed over a three week period. And so this is just a mind boggling toll. And a lot of focus gets put on children who are killed because it's, how can you excuse it? Yeah. But the death toll, the death toll is, has to be well over 6,000 now of just normal guys like us, women, yeah. elderly people, yeah. so, you know, just like, it's, and that all of the, all of those are unjust killings. But of course the sure. focus on the children for a particular reason, but the scale of the death and destruction is, is unlike anything Palestinians have ever experienced actually. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, it's been, it's been, uh, very hard to, to watch, um, you know, uh, and to see like, like some of like the, you know, the circling of the wagons and like, you know, some of this, like just the rhetoric that's coming out of it is very reminiscent of 9-11 amping up the anti-Muslim, like, you know, dial, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I, I sent you that picture the other day or a day or two ago of, you know, bold headlines saying that, you know, U.S. officials warned that Hamas might try to come over the, uh, the southern border yeah the southern border and it's like From okay like, and it's just like you know yeah and that that's like another thing is like can't you see the connection like what's happening here like how you know what we export abroad is like also coming home like to us like they want to militarize the shit out of that border too they want to make right you know they want to you know make their own gazas everywhere you know mm-hmm. um and yeah it's just like it's been heartbreaking to to see what's happening and to like you know, yeah, see some of the, like, just people supporting, like, genocide is has been very, um, that too has been just, like, terrible to see, like, how many people are just, like, full-throated support of it. Yeah, yeah, well, they, I think part of it was, like, the, 
the propaganda machine of Israel when seized the opportunity right away, right? They coined that term Hamas is ISIS mm-hmm. and actually started putting out that Hamas is actually worse than ISIS. And it was based on completely concocted stories like the 40 beheaded babies thing, yeah. which was like front page of every newspaper all over the world or the Western world anyway, turned out to be a completely fake story. That story the stories of the mass rapes, like all of these things got thrown out that were just completely fake and concocted stories, but it was to build this propaganda propaganda narrative that Hamas is exactly the same as ISIS. Actually, they're worse than ISIS. And that the only way to defeat them is, is how we dealt with ISIS, which was just laying waste, massive waste to entire cities. The civilian body count from the ISIS war was astronomical. I mean, Raqqa lost like 1,600 people in a matter of weeks in the coalition bombing against ISIS, which was considered like a staggering humanitarian scale. Um, because they put that out because like, this is what we're going to do to Gaza. Like, we're going to go yeah. in there. We're going to fuck everybody up. And mm-hmm. Israel in the beginning of this was open about like, we are going to kill a lot of civilians. Oh, it's been, yeah, but, their, their rhetoric's been fucking insane to, to um, you know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, like, it's been, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's mind blowing. Yep. No, I mean, it was their, look, it's like Israel has always wanted to take over all of Gaza. They mm-hmm. tried to take over all of Gaza leading up until 2005 when they were kicked out. Gaza was under military occupation, like the West Bank is. The same shit was happening as what's happening in the West Bank now. Settlers moving in, killing Palestinians, kicking them off their land, military checkpoints everywhere, controlling their movement. The armed resistance in Gaza pushed out the military, but they never intended to leave forever. They're like, we're coming back for Gaza. And actually, Israelis I talked to in Israel, when we asked them about Gaza, they're like, it's not Gaza, it's Israel. You know, there's a the big ideal. It's like that belongs to us. And yeah. The Palestinians are occupying our homeland. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the October 7th attack, which, you know, um, th- there's a lot to be said about that, not the way that it's been depicted by Israel or the mass media. In fact, the, it seems now that the names that are released, the vast majority of the dead are military. We're on duty armed military, yeah. um, which is a, not a ratio that Israel achieves when they do attacks on Palestinians ever. The openness and what they were going to, that, that now they have peak support. Israel's had waning support every subsequent war. It's just they lose and lose more public support because it's yeah. so obvious what they're doing is horrible. What's happening in the West Bank is horrible. The Sheikh Jarrah stuff in, in May 2021, more people than ever waking up to it. And then all of a sudden, Israel has this like peak support and they're like, now we're just going to go in and fucking kill everyone we can in Gaza, mm. which is basically a thing. And then the United States coming in and just saying, we give you the green light to do whatever you have to do and whatever you want to do. In fact, the spokesperson for like the National Security Department just said today when he was asked about the civilian casualties in Gaza, he's just like, look, this is what's going to happen. We're going to kill civilians. I mean, he's like, this is just the reality. Uh, and so they're very open. And it's like, they're, they are not even falling on their human shield rhetoric that they normally do. I mean, it's just like, look, this is war. Civilians are going to die. We have to, this is the worst thing that's happened since the Holocaust. And so we have to treat these people like, we treated Nazi Germany, which was, and in fact, that's actually what, um, there's this other story that the State Department officials were actually alarmed after their meeting with Israel because Israeli officials were telling them, like, yeah, this is like World War II. Remember, you dropped the atomic bomb and you killed like hundreds of thousands of civilians. You know, you firebombed Tokyo, you firebombed Germany. Like, you killed a lot of civilians in World War II, so that's what has to happen now. And so there's the going into this being like, you know, we're going to kill quite a lot of people. Yeah. What moral ground does the U S have to stand on to be like, you know what I mean? Like, right. it's just like, of course they can say that to the U S you know, cause yeah. the U S has been running around doing fucked up shit for so long too, you know? Yep. Yeah. And, and like the thing is, is the white house could easily 
have gone to Israel and been like, yo, you got to like, you can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Like we're your sponsor. We give you all the political and military support you need. The, and and it, there, in, in the past, there's been tense relationships between Washington and the Israeli leaders. Yeah. When Obama yeah. was president, I mean, Netanyahu fucking came to the U.S. like against Obama's wishes and gave an address to Congress that was like oh, yeah, against that. Obama. Yeah. It's like there was tense because Obama was like, you got to rein some of this shit back. I mean, he was horrible on Israel, too, mm-hmm. but he at least he was like he, because he, he did provide like some pushback and not the open space like that kind of that Trump came in and gave to them. I mean, there there has been tense relationships at times between the U.S. administration and the Israeli government. So they could easily be saying, look, you're going to, we're not going to support you if you just go balls to the wall, mass murder. Yeah. Um, but they are. Blinken and Biden and the Pentagon are like, whatever you got to do, yeah. do it. And that's what they're doing. And it's not even whatever they got to do. This isn't like, we have to do this to defend ourselves against Hamas. It's like, this is our chance to mass murder these people who we want to kick out of mm-hmm. Gaza. Yeah. Let's look at the definition of genocide mm-hmm. as outlined by the Genocide Convention and Rome Statute of the International Criminal Court. They define genocide as, quote, acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, racial, or religious group uh, as such by deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part. And that's like kind of openly what Israel is doing to Gaza. I mean, they're they're wiping out, I mean, the level of killing a massive, I mean, percentage of the population, the destruction of all of its history, you know, the oldest Christian church. I think yeah. the third the third oldest in the world was just destroyed. Yeah. Their I oldest mean, hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the forced, I mean, telling the people of North Gaza that they have to all move south, you know, like forced displacement like that. Yeah. Yeah, and they're floating, and it's it's been open that there's this idea that maybe the solution, and apparently Biden has already requested funds for this, maybe the solution is to evacuate everyone into Egypt until the war's over, which is an obvious trick because it's Israel just wanting to depopulate Gaza and then yeah, not sure. let people back in, yeah. which is why people are are not going to leave. But, um, you know, I, I guess if you're listening to this podcast, you're aware of in some way you've been seeing online what's happening, but it's just, it's absolute just war crime after war crime, unbelievable. Like the biggest, you know, like the hospital bombing that happened, which Israel, again, lied. They made like they a fake recording. 100%. It's like every, even the New York Times has come out with an investigation saying Israel lied about what happens. And so like at every multiple major media outlets who repeated the lie have come out and said, no, actually this is all bullshit. I mean, that was like the biggest loss of life in a single attack, like ever. I guess like the Sabra and Shatila massacre, like they killed about that, ma- that many people. But it, this was like, massive, just unbelievable carnage. And it's a genocide. I mean, what's happening now is a genocide. Yes. And so, of course, there's going to be, like, potential for there be some backlash against the U.S. Because I think the world rightfully sees that this is only happening with the enablement, the weapons, the political support, everything from the United States. And the fact that Biden himself went, I'm going to go to Israel to be, like, to green light this thing. It's like, he did not have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like, yeah. (laughs) They brought the whole team. They brought everyone. They brought the whole State Department, brought everyone. They went to be like, you know, you're fighting ISIS and we got your back with with whatever, completely uh, uncritically. Um, So, you know, 
you'd expect it's like how many how many children can you massacre before somebody like wants to revenge or retaliation uh and that's a a dangerous game the US is playing right now and i think some people realize that yeah i mean we've already like uh we've already seen some some responses to that um you know there's been a couple protest marches on like US and Israeli embassies in other countries mm-hmm. um you know there's been like i mean Obviously, like if you're, you know, probably know about this too, if you're listening to the podcast, but the drone attacks on like U.S. bases and some injured U.S. soldiers now. And like one of the carriers intercepted some missiles being shot from another country and, you know, towards. So it's like and like obviously, you know, the majority of these people doing this stuff are Iranian backed militias. And so it's just like, you know, and it's just like, I don't even like personally, I don't think Iran would even have to tell these people like, hey, guys, you should attack now. These people are just like watching what's happening and being like, we're probably just going to go do something right. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't even think Iran probably is telling them you guys should go attack this embassy. They're probably just like, no, fuck, we're going to go attack this embassy because like, who else are we going to who else can we do anything to right now? Besides, there's this U.S. embassy here, you know, we should probably go attack that. You know, there's this, this military presence here you know um and so like yeah there is definitely some worry right because i think blinken yeah i think he just said today something about like he just tossed out one of those like you know threats of like you know we will defend our people kind of thing so it's like Mm -hmm. you know how many you know when is it and obviously it's like the whole point of that is just to get ourselves dragged into another war because like that literally is what how the u.s economy runs right like mm-hmm. all those raytheon boeing oh, dude. stocks are going through the roof right now it's you know? it's sick i mean if you look at the stock market stuff for defense contractors at like october 7th it just spikes yeah it's like crazy gross <laughs> it's completely sick yeah. it's yeah um, it's just unbelievable that we have a society like that uh but, yeah and so and so like um you know, yeah. So how, like, when is a U.S. soldier going to be killed? And like, or a couple of them, right? Because like back in the eighties, you had that big Lebanon uh, bombing that killed some mm-hmm. two hundred Marines. Like most Marines killed since uh, Iwo Jima or whatever. Yeah. Know? And it's just like there's no reason to think that that wouldn't be something that would happen again. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's interesting that you say that uh, Iran isn't telling people to go out and attack faces because actually what's happening is they're saying do not attack right now because there is that there is this act. I was actually just talking to one of my friends today who's a journalist who lives in Lebanon, and she was saying how you know that axis of um, Hezbollah, Hamas, the Iranian military, certain militias in Iraq that are affiliated with them, and then some people else. There's like so there is like a a coordination between different these different organizations, they are all, Iran in particular, is well aware that if they do anything, it could spiral, or if any of those groups does anything towards the U.S., it could spiral into like a bigger war. And so there is a complete, right now there's obviously a stand down order to like, you know, Hezbollah would would love to, to go and try to intervene on behalf of the Palestinians, but they can't because they know that would trigger a bigger regional war. The U.S. has been very clear that that's what they're there for. So the U.S. moving their carrier groups into the region. Like, this is all to be like, if anyone tries to f- stop Israel from doing this, we will fuck you up. Yeah. So, you know, like, while Israel is committing a genocide, <clears throat> launching from airstrips from its air bases, you know, they're going to make sure that no one can go attack an Israeli airstrip to stop children from being bombed in Gaza. So right now there is... Um, from at least Hezbollah and Iran to be like, we we can't intervene because it'll trigger something bigger. But even they have their red lines. 
and Hezbollah yeah, has how red long lines. is that, that yeah how long does that yes. last right? and like you know if Israel starts attacking southern Lebanon if they like if they start doing things that cross the red lines um, of that axis then it could blow up into something big but also she was also telling me that um, of that like kind of alliance that axis that the militias in Iraq that are affiliated with that with the Iranian uh, military, they're like less disciplined. And so like some of the attacks that happening in Iran, it's like, they're just like, you know, they kind of take orders from Iran, but they also kind of don't, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, so there's obviously like forces in, in Syria and Iraq in Africa, other places where that like stand down restraint that's being exercised by, uh, Iran and it's, it's allies doesn't apply to. Yeah. Um, and so you can imagine it's like, we're, watching in horror all day, every day, the shit happening, you know, there's probably plenty of groups and people around the world who are like, I got to do something about this. There's an American base that's, that's right nearby. So yeah. So the potential for soldiers to, to be the, the target of retaliation for the crimes that the United States is committing and helping Israel commit, I think is a very real possibility. And there's so many U.S. troops all over the fucking world that there's a lot of different places where this could happen. So yeah. if you're overseas anywhere, you know, you're running the risk of uh, yeah, you yeah, getting the backlash for what Biden should be getting the backlash for. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those moments where it's like, if you're thinking, if you're already thinking you want to get the fuck out, this is, this is maybe a good time. You know, whether or not it's... I think for two reasons. One, it's like, do you want to risk your life just to defend, just so you can protect a genocide from taking place? I mean, that's just like a, why yeah, would anyone? Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, that, yeah, you know, I, I feel like there, there's, there's probably, I would imagine, plenty of people who are like really struggling with like, you know, what they want to do right now, military wise. Right. Um, like my buddy, he was potentially on that 24 hour thing. Like he, his mm -hmm. plan was, um, you know, he, he morally objects to all this, um, specifically this, um, because he himself is, you know, of Arab descent. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so he was thinking if, if this is, if this whole 24 hour thing is for real, then I'm going to tell my Sergeant major, like, I'm not, I'm not going on this one. Yeah. Uh, and granted, I mean, anyone has that option, right? Mm -hmm. Say, I'm not going to go. I morally disagree with that. They, they, I, you know, I feel like they try to trick you into saying like, Hey, once you're in, you can't ever be a conscientious objector. You can only be right. a, like you've joined the military. Now you can't conscious, you know, no, you can always conscientiously object. Um, but for him specifically, for any of you who are out there in the national guard, um, and, uh, I don't know if it's specifically SF maybe has a little bit more, you know, wiggle room than regular national guard, but you know, he has a little bit more power over his deployments. He can be like, no, I want to set this one out. And he probably wouldn't have got really in any trouble. Right. I just want him to get out of the fucking military at this point. Cause it's like, right. like this thing's happening. Like you're still a part of this. Yes. Stop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess that's the other reason why it's like, whether or not you think you're going to end up deployed or are deployed and could get some backlash, right. Even if you don't feel you're going to be directly, uh, suffer from what's going on is it would be a great act of solidarity with the Palestinian people who, and a great act of protest against a government that is literally doing a genocide against a population of people. Um, by making that your moment to, 
to destroy. I mean, there was like a, there was a State Department official who resigned. There's others who may resign. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of upheaval within the government. Staffers yes. of different. Yes. Those staffers have resigned who are because they're, they're congressperson they work for didn't support a ceasefire. Um, and, and so there is, and that's and that's doing something. I mean, the level of protests that are happening now, which is historic. I mean, even in, in 2021, when those protests popped off, they're the biggest pro-Palestine protests in American history by a lot. Mm-hmm. And this past two weeks have dwarfed that by a lot. So there's just like the snowball effect of Palestine solidarity. But these kind of fissures within the establishment are creating a pressure on the U.S. government to, at some point, they're going to have to say enough is enough, Right. Or they can at any point say enough is enough yeah. and, and make Israel back off. And so the dissent within the State Department and congressional staffers and all these things, those things are creating a little bit of a political crisis uh, for the U.S. And, and, and what it's trying to back up uh, in Gaza. Um, but some dissent within the military, I think, could really go a long way as well. Um, yeah, so agree. just uh, in personally for your own safety, but also because um, it's a really a moment where it's like, can show you that it's it's really the right thing to do right now. Um, so of course, you know, we always there's there's obviously a few ways you can do that. I mean, you mentioned like the National Guard stuff. Um, like I had someone recently ask me who was on IRR, like Individual Ready Reserve. If anyone's on that and like they worry about getting called back, that you just don't. That's the last thing you got to worry about because you just don't respond to that one. Just don't. Yeah, don't go back. Respond. Just like if they're like you're activated with IRR, just be like I never got the call or, or mail, and I just like ignore it. There's like nothing that's going to happen to you, but of course, there's many ways you can game the system legitimately. Of course, you know, basically exercising the rights that you have to not go on a deployment. So if if you're, of course, it's always different if you have like a deployment that's coming up, or you're about to go somewhere, or if you're just like in the army. There's plenty of shit, man. I mean, obviously, the we, we've talked about it before, but like the easiest thing is conscientious objector. Yeah, you you drop that conscientious objector packet as soon as you drop that packet, you're non-deployable. As long as you know what you're doing when you fill out that paperwork, it's uh, I've I've helped quite a few people through that process, and everyone has gotten an honorable honorable discharge. That's of course there's like it's hard to do because you have to put yourself out there, your command, your unit. Everyone knows that like oh hey this guy's a conscientious objector. Um, but you know if if you're willing to if you're willing to go through whatever that entails, yeah, if you're willing to stick to your guns and and like mentally and like emotionally prepare yourself for like the backlash you will probably receive to some degree or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it all depends on your unit and how cool people are. Um, but it's, it's an option. Of course there's always the GI rights hotline. Yeah. Uh, yeah. GI rights oh, yeah. org, And that they are really good at, at making sure that you do the paperwork properly. I'm always happy to talk to people who are interested in that route, but that's your like quick ticket. Like I actually had a friend who he was deploying in fucking like two weeks to Afghanistan and he dropped the CO packet and they couldn't send him and they ended up getting an honorable. Yeah. It might even be worth it to like, you know, have the packet prepped and ready to drop, you know? And if you can like, you know, if for whatever reason you do happen to be in a somewhat cool unit, or there's a couple of you who are in a unit together who maybe feel like, you know, worried about doing this, you know, get together and all drop them together. You know, and at least then you'll have sort of like nucleus of people that can, you know, you're, you're not by yourself. Right. So that would be another little bit of advice if it comes to dropping a a conscious objector packet. Absolutely. And I think you made a great point having it done and not just, just don't tell yourself, I'm going to do this packet and submit it. 
tell yourself, I'm going to do this packet to have as my like ace in my pocket in case I need That's it. Your because it's a yeah. lot of work. It's a lot of work to do because the main part about it is your like essay of crafting your narrative and everything about what it is that gave you this pr- profound change in your consciousness where you, you joined the army willingly, meaning you were willing to kill people or be part of killing people. But then something major happened where all of a sudden your whole mind shifted and you can no longer do it. And you have to, you have to tell that story well. And you guys have a very, uh, you guys also have a very good reason. You know, you have a perfect story. Right. I did not join the military to support genocide. Yeah, you there know? you go. There you go. Yeah. Like, Yep. Um, (laughs) Yes. And so it's always like, it's definitely more complicated. You know, it's like you have to, it it has to, the narrative has to fit what the army's definition of conscientious objector is, which means it's not political. It's just, you had an epiphany about violence and not being a part of violence in any way. And you're a true pacifist, whether it's religious, you don't have to be religious. Religious is the easiest way, but there's many, there's many ways that you can do it as long as you can describe some turning point or something you read or whatever that that led to that profound transformation. But just do the packet. Fill out the paperwork, work on your essay, have someone from the GI Rights Hotline or uh, me uh, review it and let you know how it, how strong it is. So if you have something solid, ready to go, then you have it ready to go whenever you're going to need it. And then being able to do it and then coach other people through it too, like having other people in your unit who may be interested if you can then show them your packet and be like, check this shit out. It wasn't that hard to do. Here's what you'd have to do. I mean, I think your idea of of encouraging others in your unit and simultaneously dropping something is would be incredible. Uh, but it's it's an option. It's a hundred percent an option people have, and it's it's the best one out there. The best right that you have in the military. Yeah. Of course, there's like lots of other shit you can do uh-huh. um, where you don't have to drop the CEO thing. The, the number one way that I saw people get out of the army when they were done with it uh, was failing their PT test or failing tape. Um, yeah, sure. Which yeah. is like, in fact, um, I it's funny, I had never thought about this until recently, but like I was, because I was so like, I like gung-ho when I was in, in my unit, especially after Iraq, but it was all like very sarcastic. It was just like, um, I d- adopted the persona that they wanted me to have of like the hard charger and like, um, like for the PT, like my battalion was the 110th. So I'm like, I'm going to do 110 pushups to honor the commander of the 110th on the PT test. And like, and I, I did it. And so like, they made me the battalion overweight NCO where they're like, oh, Preisner, like he's going to get everyone into shape. He's like, <laughs> fails their PT test or fails tape. So my job was, my other job was every day at like, you know, after lunch, I'd take all the battalion PT and tape fails and just like train them to get them back into, into shape to pass a PT test. Yeah. Most of the guys in that were like, I don't want to pass a PT test. I want to get yeah, the fuck right? out. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I would help them and then like, you know, mess it, like lie on their tapes so that they would like, because it's right. like you have to, it's not just failing your PT test three times. It's like you have to show no progress. So you have to do worse every subsequent time that you take it. So like if you run up, if you fail your run by 10 seconds and then the next time you fail your run by five seconds, that's not going to count for your chapter. It's like they consider that progress. Um, so, you know, failing your PT test, uh, starting to eat a lot. Dude, I, I, this one friend I had, he was a sergeant. This guy was like, you know, five, eight marathon runner, really fast PT time. His wife was just like, you got to get us the fuck out of here. I can't be in the army anymore. He would, his job was like, he'd get home from work and he wasn't allowed to move. He would just be on the couch or in bed and she would just bring him tons and tons of food. She'd be all all the day at work. He'd be, she'd be baking cakes. And so this guy got like 
ended up with like a 50 inch waist. The rest of his body skinny, but just had this massive gut. And then he got out from that massive gut. And then like six months later, he was back to his normal self. So the like eating your way out, if you have like the body type or like you can get. On, it's always sunny. Right. Yes. <laughs> no, you can do that. Um, failing your PT test is an easy thing. Other health stuff, you know, like if your back starts to really hurt or you can't lift shit, that's a thing. There's always like mental health options. Yeah, you mental said you health, have to just, yeah. you know, if you're depressed because of the shit you see going on around you and the position that you're in as being a part of it, make some mental health appointments. If you can get diagnosed with depression, you're not deployable. Yeah, granted, um, and uh, then, you know, kept me from getting deployed. I mean, granted that deployment ended up getting tanked because it was the one when we pulled out of Afghanistan finally. But I mean, right. mental health would have kept me from yep. going. So. Yep. I mean, you just have to, with those, you just have to start establishing your your record. You mm-hmm. have to make the appointments. You have to start going to the appointments. You got to get yourself a diagnosis, whether it's yeah, PTSD, it's you, depression. They can't ask you why you're going to mental health, you know, like. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what are some things people should know if they want to kind of go through that process that may be intimidating to them to start it or like the, you know, what are some things that maybe some misconceptions soldiers have about how they go through that? Yeah, I mean, so for me, all it did, all it all it took was like, you know, I spoke with, you know, my medic and told him like, hey, I'm really depressed, you know, I can't, I can't be here training anymore. Like it does, like I feel like I'm a danger not only to myself, but to others, um, you know, because I just, you know, I was literally not doing anything. Right. And then, so that got me, he got me in touch with the battalion, like, um, the battalion behavioral health people. And I just kind of explained like, yeah, man, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to like, like I, you know, basically all that, right. I'm too depressed. Like I'm depressed. I don't want to be here. Like, you know, and they, they ended up flying me back to JBLM. And from there it was like, you know, they had me like the next day or whatever, go to the, the EBH embedded behavioral health, like that same day. And, you know, got me in with a, a military or, you know, with a, with a, a counselor who ended up being a military, um, uh, person, right. She was in uniform and everything as opposed mm-hmm. to the civilians that work there as well. Yeah. And I mean, so like I told her I didn't trust her and like, you know, I was in the, I was going to be in the process of like asking to change. Cause that's like, obviously you don't have to stick with the one that they give you, you know, you can right. say, like, I, I don't want to be with this person. And then like, yeah. you know, I didn't actually have to end up doing that, but like, cause I got changed out anyway, um, because she went on maternity leave, but like, you know, your why can just be like, you don't trust them. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, that's a symptom of PTSD right. anyway, is like being like, uh, you know, on edge and like, right. you know, and so like there is, but like, you know, you just, you just, they can't ask you like your first sergeant, whoever it is, like, you know, they they might know you're going to behavioral health, but they'll they they cannot ask you like why are you going like why do you need to go so often you know like and once you are there you know so they can't so like when you told your medic your medic wasn't able to tell like they had to keep that confidential like I mean obviously your command has to know that you're going to behavioral health but they can't like the details are are confidential yeah 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 they're not yeah they're not I mean. You know, my medic would have just went and told my sergeant major and my commander that, like, yeah, hey, Evan's really struggling through some stuff right now. Like, you know, he's not safe to be here anymore. Like, he's talked to, he's talked, cause like once, 
once you talk to like your behavioral health person, you know, whoever's in charge of behavioral health and mm-hmm. then, like, you need to come to behavioral health, like they're going to let your command know like, hey, he's going to behavioral health, you know what right. I mean? Um, so, so they can't stop you in any no, way. No, they can't. There's no, no, they can't stop you in any way from going to behavioral health. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, you don't have to stick with whatever doctor it is. You know, I would personally try to go with a civilian one if you can get to the civilian one. Um, right. You know, uh, so, and she, like, once I got in, I mean, like, I was honest with her about how I felt and everything. And when she asked me, like, you know, what I wanted, you know, I was like, I don't want to be in the military anymore. Like, I want to, I want to get out of the military. And she was like, well, we can arrange that, you know, we can figure out how to make that happen. Or at the very least, you know, I can work on getting you into a position that, you know, will prevent you from being deployed, you know? And it was like, okay, well, yeah, let's do this then. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that's. That's helpful stuff. I mean, that's that's always an out too. And like a large number of people in the military now would qualify for the diagnosis they need to be non-deployable and uh, even to get get a discharge out of it, which ends up being an honorable discharge with mm-hmm. uh, with some disability. Um, you know, the the probably the fastest option, but usually not the best, is just going AWOL. Um, <laughs> of course, that like you're gonna deal with the most shit in the long run for that. But, you know, some people don't have the luxury of waiting around to do their paperwork or dealing with going through, especially if, like, you are a danger to yourself and, like, being in the military is, like, a a place that is exacerbating that. You know, a lot of times it can be safer for you personally to just go AWOL. The one, like, helpful thing about going AWOL that I learned is that a lot of times people go AWOL, then after they're out for a month or so AWOL, they start getting nervous that they're going to get like pulled over or something and get sent back. So yeah. they just go back and, and turn themselves in. Yeah, uh, That's the worst thing you should do because if you go back to your unit, your unit is in charge of prosecuting you. If you're AWOL, there are people support networks that can help you wait until you're dropped from the roles of your, your unit that you were in. Once you're dropped from the, your roles, you're no longer under the command of your unit. Um, then when you do turn yourself in, you're not prosecuted. It's not up to your command to, to for your discipline. It's up to just like the army writ large. Um, and so there are, in times I've known when people were AWOL, someone from like the GI rights hotline or some other support network would call the unit for them and say, hey, is so-and-so still on your rolls? And they like have to like tell you. And then so if, if um, once you're not on the rolls of your unit anymore, then that's when it's safe to go in and fight it in court or whatever. And a lot of times if you say like, oh, I was a, I was suicidal, I was a danger to myself, I had to leave, then it's like, you know, a lot of times you can beat whatever charges come from going AWOL. But, you know, that's always uh, that's always an option too. Worst case scenario, of course, it's not the best one and you may end up without benefits and stuff because of it. But, you know, I I always tell people if, if they go AWOL, you know, wait be, for to be dropped from the rolls before you head back if you're going to turn yourself or whenever you're going to turn yourself in. Yeah. And I guess if you're not too worried about any of that, uh, you know, getting benefits or anything like that, you can always piss hot on a drug test. Oof, that's a, the fun way to get out, (laughs) you know, (laughs) just fucking party. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, cause I mean, I'm pretty sure they usually do that to people before they deploy. Right. So that's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's probably other shit that you have to pass too. Like, um, I don't know. Do you have to pass PT before you deploy? Maybe not. I think so. Uh, they may I mean, not they care. do the whole like medical checkup, right? So I don't know. Right. Is your blood pressure really high or something? Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's other ways in there that you could you could get it so you uh 
you know, are your, your SRP, your, uh, what is it? SRP or SRP. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, that's why, that's why the, the mental health stuff is, uh, so, so viable because, mm. you know, they, if you say like, ah, oh, my back hurts too much to like do something, it's, they could just be like, I don't believe you. Um, yeah, yeah, right, I've, right. I've checked you out and you look fine, but you know, they can't argue with you if you tell them your mental state. It's like, yeah. you you have the responsibility to, to report your own symptoms um, mm-hmm. or they consider you responsible to report your own symptoms. So they yeah, which really is something you're going to do every day you go there, you know, the, the, before you even go back and see anyone, mm-hmm. you've got to get on the computer and, and answer all the questions, you know? Right. Oh, good point. Yeah. Oh, cool. So you can just, it's not even like face to face with your commander. It's like they got a, no. Yeah. Every time I went, it's going to screen you. Yeah. Every time I went, it was always like the first one's always a little bit longer, but like, right. um, you know, I mean, well, you know, you could, you could tell them too, like, uh, now I, I don't know how it would do with like deployability and stuff, but I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think you could probably maybe check yourself into like rehab for alcohol or something like they have the yeah. ASAP, like counselors and things too, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would always have to answer a questionnaire about like, you know, have I felt this way in the last, you know, 30 days? Have I felt this way in the last two weeks? Do I consider myself a danger to myself or others? You know, like all yep. those things. And so it's all on the computer and then, you know, you submit it and then you wait, they call you back and then they have access on the computer to like what your answers were. So that's kind of how they track. That's one of the ways they track, you know, like, are you actually getting better, you know? Mm. Um that and, you know, the conversation we're having together and like, I'm giving you these things you're supposed to practice, you're supposed mm-hmm. to do to help yourself get better, you know, so that's kind of like how that whole thing works too. So. Right. So it's like the PT test. It's like, no, don't show progress. Yeah, basically. Once they yeah, give, they're yeah. going to, they're going to evaluate you at different points. And then if you show any improvement, you're stuck. If you keep showing a decline in improvement, that's your ticket out. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, or just continue to answer the same the same way every time, right? It's just like yeah. no, I'm steadily not good enough, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, actually, the reason I I initially wanted to do this episode with you is because I saw this TikTok going around of some guy in uniform in the army, and it's like a TikTok video. Like the text on screen is like when you've preparing when you've been preparing for war with china now everyone's talking about israel and it's just him like crying and being yeah. like oh no like which is like funny cuz it's like oh you wanted to go to war with china and you're all pumped but like now it's like but i think the sentiment of like wait i got i got to go support what like what yeah. it's just like the you know israel's another it's just like it's so apparent to people especially younger people who haven't had their like brains melted by the a lifetime of mainstream media coverage mm-hmm. of the situation you know, it's so much so obvious what a just horrible, racist, apartheid, like genocidal state. And really, like Israel really is a military dictatorship for Palestinians. Yeah. I mean, you have no rights. I mean, there's there's so much. See, I I don't want to like have to go into why Israel is fucked up. Um, <laughs> I've done a lot of work on that uh, for Empire Files. So if you go yeah. to the Empire Files YouTube, there's a playlist called Reporting from Palestine that has a lot of just crash course, introductory stuff. Um, also on the Empire Files podcast, there's a few of them too. So if you if you need to know more about the situation, this podcast isn't the place for that, but there's I, I recommend those other resources. Um, but I think the, the main point here is that this, I'm sure that there's lots of people feeling like this is not what I signed up to be part of, but, but you're part of it. Yeah. You really are. I mean, the US is the only reason Israel is able to do this. Yeah. It's our weapons, it's our money, and most importantly, the political cover. So like the U.S. just, you know, the United Nations Security Council, 
voted for uh, a ceasefire, just temporary ceasefire to get humanitarian aid in, just a temporary ceasefire to allow humanitarian aid into the civilians. And the U.S. had the, of course, they have the power over the U.N. to just veto it. And so, yeah. like, not to ensuring, so it's like, the, the, we hear a lot about the deaths from the bombs, but, like, there's, there's, there's hundreds of babies in, the, like, the NICU in Gaza with yeah. no electricity. No, it's like the, so, like, the people that are dying from just lack of, you know, people, because I'm talking to a lot of uh, people, my, my wife especially, it's like, we're, we're talking to people in Gaza who we worked with, and it's like, people are just drinking dirty water out of fucking puddles. Um, you know, like, people are eating, like, Zatar, like a spice mix. Like that's what some people are eating um, because there's not enough food. Um, so it's like this, and and the the cruelty is, it's like cutting off food and water and electricity to Gaza, knowing that it's only going to hurt civilians. Because like Hamas has enough water to get through whatever's coming. Like they're in their tunnels, they're ready for the Israeli invasion. They yeah. have a plenty. They have a big enough supply of fuel and water and food to last them however long they get to last to fight the Israelis when they come in. Yeah. So they know they know that cutting off water and food and electricity is only going to hurt. It's only going to hurt civilians. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a very calculated, horrible, genocidal policy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, U, the U.S., like, yeah, vetoing the cease, temporary ceasefire and just the, the full role they played. And it's like the whole fucking government is in on it. Like, I think um, uh, there's, I think right now there's only 13... Uh, elected officials in Congress who support a ceasefire, who are calling for the ceasefire. None of them are white, which is very funny, like settler solidarity. It's all like black and Latino and like Indian uh, members of Congress that are supporting it. Like not one white member of Congress is supporting like a very reasonable, like, hey, just to like stop murdering children. The whole fucked up system is all for this and letting it happen. Well, the rest of the world and the country sees how reprehensible and criminal this is. Like the, the, de- the demonstrations are very, is what's very inspiring all over the world. I yeah, think the, no, yeah. the demonstration that just happened in the UK was the third largest demonstration in British history, largest pro-Palestine demo ever, but the third largest in British, which it's like, you know, they have a long history and they have a yeah. big history of protests, a, a good rich history of protests. You know, only two other times is there a protest bigger than this in that, that entire country. You know, you can, be on one side or the other. I mean, you can be with the people that are rightfully in the streets and outraged and and wanting to do something to help uh, the people of Palestine when it feels so powerless. Um, but then there's the the state, the American state and government and Pentagon, which is like a hundred percent unanimously on a completely not even the most not even entertaining the most mild like. Even the White House spokesperson called calls for a ceasefire repugnant you know, and despicable to say at like at a press conference to say anyone calling for a ceasefire is repugnant. I mean, it's just like, they're all in, they're all in on doing this thing and we don't know where it's going to stop. I mean, I think the scary thing is that the toll is uh, unprecedented right now on, on Palestinian civilians. And it's like, there's no signs of stopping. No. And I think if Israel gets its way, if they can withstand the public pressure they're going to push this thing as far as it can go, which is fully depopulating Gaza yeah. and just moving Israeli settlements and military in there and pushing everyone into Egypt to be refugees for like the third time in their fucking family history. The only thing that will prevent Israel from going as far as it can go is resistance, which is from the Palestinians themselves, from friends of theirs and allies, but also resistance that can happen in the streets and within 
within the the innards of the government, which yeah. includes within the military. Yeah, um, so if there's enough dissent, if there's enough dissent, and and not a lot of dissent in there can make a big impact. You know, a few soldiers coming out in protest and and stuff is is big. Just like a few State Department people has already shaken things up quite a bit. So it's a it's a mind boggling moment. I mean, it's just kind of hard to wrap your mind around what you're seeing, but it's it could turn into a it could turn into a, a pivotal moment in a good way if the right things happen. Yeah, no, I, I I think so too. So, I mean, I like, I don't know. I, it just, it feels like it's going to get bigger, and yeah. I'm like, I'm really worried about that. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's like, how long can you, how long can you hold off if you're like, they're fucking ready, and like the only reason that they're not is because they're like we can't because then there's going to be a war with Iran. And it's just like, they know that the, that the backlash would be too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but they will, if certain things happen, like if, if Beirut gets bombed by Israel, Hezbollah is, is all, is all in and they're going to go. Um, so there's like, and I'm sure there's probably even dissent within like the Iranian military and stuff about like, you know, like, cause especially after the Soleimani shit, it's like, there's still like, Fuck them. Like they still never got any kind of retaliation for that. They, yeah, you know? they got and literally like, no resolution at all for that happening. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. And yeah, I mean, I imagine, I imagine, yeah, there's definitely probably some people within the the Iranian military and government who are like, fuck it, we need to do something. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, and the thing, like your your point about how like this feels like it could get bigger. Um so like even if it doesn't get bigger at all, and it's just it, if it's just a genocide of Gaza, it's still like something worth fucking fighting fighting 100%, for it. Uh, 100%. but like the potential for it to get bigger is like very real into something bigger like a war with Iran and Lebanon and you know it's like so yeah. the the potential is quite big it's almost like the precipice we were on after the Soleimani thing it was like how it's cuz the precipice was, was was so major then because it was like the US was testing like how far can we really push without starting a big war with Iran where they did something where they assassinated the most popular figure in all mm-hmm. of Iran so they they tried to push really hard, and then it didn't start a war. Um, but the U.S. is doing the same thing again. They're really fucking pushing it. Yeah, like how they're like, how far can we push this without triggering a regional war? And you know that would it would be catastrophic for everyone if that if that were to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, I also think uh, China. Uh, sent aircraft carriers to the med or to like that area too. Oh, really? Like, are they mm. going there to try and deter the U.S. from doing... You know what I mean? It's like one of those Princess Bride things where it's like, I, right. know, you know that I know, you know? Yeah. Uh, says, China, like, okay, so this is just the, the messenger news that China now has six warships in the Middle East. Uh, the move comes as the U.S. deploys the USS Gerald R. Ford, the, the largest aircraft carrier ever built to the Eastern Mediterranean. So, like, I always, you know, I have these insane, like, I'm just like, I'm wondering when shit's going to happen here too, you yeah. know. Like I feel like the United States itself is a powder keg, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. We, there's already been like in the protests that have been happening, like in and around here. There's been like, you know, fucking some dude shot at like people. I think in a pro-Palestinian yeah. rally. Yeah. Like- so there's been a guy who shot at the demonstration. There was a vehicle attack where a guy drove through a demonstration, which is like a common. That, which is like a right wing yeah. attack method, yeah, you know, like, like that they talk, they have memes there. about it, whatever. <laughs> um, and then there was, of course, the 
the murder, the stabbing attack of yeah. some guy who yeah. murdered a six-year-old uh, uh, Palestinian uh, Muslim boy and, and stabbed his mom, yeah. uh, almost killed his mom. So there's like both the like hate crime elements of like a- attacking Muslims and Arab people or people perceived to be Arab or Muslim, like mm-hmm. six. Um, but then you have the Israelis or the, the pro-Israel people who are attacking demonstrations, pro-Palestine demonstrations. Because yeah. that's been another completely fucked up thing is the the idea that after October 7th, it was like, if you come out to support Palestine, you're supporting the murder of Jews. That's yeah. been like the... Yeah. And, that's been like the, and even like left-wing and liberal people have fallen for it. Like Naomi Klein wrote an op-ed about the, the allies on the left supporting the murder of Jews. And um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez came out and said people shouldn't have come out and demonstrated in support of Palestine after October 7th. Like playing into the whole thing about like, and and the, 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 the Israeli like PR apparatus, like they've been very worried about the growing support for Palestine. And so this is like the perfect opportunity for them to be like, if you're out waving a Palestinian flag, if you're out uh, saying from the river to the sea, if you're saying free Palestine, it means you want to murder Jews and you support, yeah, you're, you're celebrating the murder of Jews. Yeah, yeah. right. So that's, that's. Uh, I thought when everything first started, I thought that that was going to have a huge chilling effect and that was actually going to hurt the turnouts at protests. But it absolutely has not, which is, yeah, which is the it, one encouraging thing to come out of this. But, but yeah, I don't know, man. It's now that you mentioned China, it's like, yeah, it does have the potential to, to snowball into something much, much bigger. Yeah, and right? it's like the recklessness of, of the Biden administration to be like, well, but, but, but we got to do it though. We got to let Israel do the genocide. Yeah. yeah, We can't, even if it might cause this huge, regionable, intractable conflict, we got to do it. You yeah. gotta let we gotta let him do the genocide. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's it really it's been so fucking crazy to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the most audacious shit ever. It's like, yeah, you know, and just it, unapologetically um, going for it. Yeah, and it's just like if this isn't like if this hasn't clued you into the fact that like between these two parties, it doesn't matter who's in charge, right? Like some fat mm-hmm. shit's going down. Like, right. come on, yep. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, but, yeah, Trump Trump would have been different in that he wouldn't have been doing all the tweets that are like, we must uh, stand against Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. Like that's the difference between yeah, a, he would a have Biden just and Trump. Up Islamophobia. Yeah, exactly. And so because like the rhetoric is slightly different, it's like Biden's probably Biden's policy for like greenlighting Israel do whatever the fuck they want, and then giving them not like after after Israel blew up that hospital, which is like the deadliest attack ever. Mm-hmm. Um, after like an hour after they blew up the hospital, they officially requested ten billion dollars from the White House in emergency assistance. So what Biden's response to that was. You know what? I'm going to ask for 14 billion instead. So he upped it. He gave he's giving them four billion more than they even asked Ooh, for. Yes. After like the one of the I think maybe the biggest war crime, single war crime Israel's ever done. Uh, so it's like it's yeah, it's just really nuts. Um, the level of just green lighting and cover up, and even Biden today was like, you know what? I don't trust the body count. I, I think Palestinians may not be telling the truth about how many people have been killed. You know, just straight up cover up and then like this all this other shit it's like there's the hollywood came together and like published this big letter recently like after the hospital massacre of like all these celebrities standing with israel and it basically it's like a veiled thing about like releasing the hostages but the whole thing really means like 
if you don't like what you're seeing on social media of Palestinians being murdered by Israel, it's on Hamas. Just release the hostages. Like, it's their fault. You know, they caused this, and they're the ones in control of this, which is not true. If Hamas released all the hostages today, the policy wouldn't change. The war would go on in exactly the same way. So, you know, it's it's like people are, I, I think most people see this for what it is, but there's just the apparatus to keep it going is just so intense. And the people with all the power are the ones that yeah. are on that side. You know? I, I do like that, like, every hostage that's been released so far has been like, yeah, no, they didn't treat us like shit. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. You Dude, know? Israel hate, it's so funny, like, the Israeli government hates all the hostages that gets released because they're all, like, they're not being part of the propaganda operation and then saying things like, yeah, I'm mad at the Israeli government and Israeli military for how recklessly they handled this and getting people killed and all that stuff. And um, yeah. so it's, yeah. No, yeah, people should, there's actually this one account, this one elderly woman who herself was like a peace activist. I mean, there's been this viral video of her and right when she's getting handed back over and mm. when she's released, she turns around and like shakes the hand of the Hamas guy and says shalom and and, and whatever. Um, she actually is like a peace activist and has uh, a, apparently uh, worked to get aid into Gaza and stuff like that. Um, but her interview, she did a press conference after and was just like, they didn't abuse anyone. They had like everything ready for us. They had like women doctors who were with all the women to make sure we had sanitary products. And they even had it like shampoo and conditioner for us. It was like very like, like this isn't, they weren't out there cutting people's hands off and raping people, whatever, like the way that the Israeli government wants it depicted. But yeah, no, they hate. And in fact, there's been like hostage people who survived the attack or people that have been released who have been like physically attacked by Israelis because they're not, they're not saying what they want them to say. And so it's, um, it's not really about the hostages. No, um, not at all. Yeah. Um, not to mention the, the thousands and thousands of Palestinian hostages that, Israel has in, yeah, in detention without charge or trial and yeah, undergoing and tor- you know, yeah, torture yeah. and yeah, yep, yeah. Big topic, which I I hope people dig into more if if you don't know a lot about it. A um, uh, lot of resources out there, not just through Empire Files, but um, you know, there's there's a lot of people that have done good good work on this thing. How did how did you actually get get deep into Palestine stuff? You know, is it just with your overall awakening, or like how did you broach that topic to begin with? Um, so, hmm, I actually like, I, I mean, I don't remember how exactly I came to it. I mean, I think obviously a part of it is like, you know, you know, it's there. Um, but once I, once I started like, you know, down that, you know, leftward path of things, I was like, okay, here's this conflict that's going on. Like, I want to read something about it that hasn't, that isn't like, you know, published from someone who like has like a socialist or some sort of perspective on it that isn't what I'm going to see like mainstream, right? And so I just started looking for that. And like, um, there's actually, there's a couple different like um, bookstores online right now. Like Verso Books is one mm-hmm. of them, um, you know, that are, you know, they're they're like putting up lists of books of like, hey, mm. want to understand, you know, the Palestinian conflict, you know, here's this different book, this different book and, you know, different genres of like, you know, the story that, you know, of what is what has been going on since, you know, the 48s and before and like, mm. um, 
And sometimes they make those like free eBooks and shit. So, I mean, that's like would be a decent resource for people who are looking into it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was because that's kind of my first thought is like, man, I don't know a lot about this thing. I need to find a book (laughs) and then like, you know, and then so then I'll try to like find some sort of left wing, you know, history about about the the situation. Um, So uh, but then obviously, like, you know, after that, it's like, okay, well, now let me get online and you know here's this documentary or this Mm. podcast you know um so uh but yeah that's kind of how i initially kind of broached it because i mean like after i had that like you know change in my perception it was like i need to relearn history you know yeah Yeah. i've got to deprogram myself from all the shit that i've learned so like you know and then Israel's always doing something in Palestine. So it's like, hey, here's this thing, you know, that I don't know anything about. And I just I know that Israel's the bad guys in this. And I know that, you know, the liberation of Palestine is the proper thing because, you know, I understand that settler colonial is a bad is a bad thing. But why is this thing happening? You know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope uh, people who don't know that answer are encouraged to go find it. Mm-hmm. And Cause it's out there and, um, you know, hope this episode helped, you know, put it into perspective a little bit and then let you know that you have plenty of, op- if this is your breaking point, you have plenty of options for it to be your breaking point and your time to get out. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're already out or even if you're not out and you are not trying to like get out right now, but you're mad about what's going on, at least go and join demonstrations. Yeah, like you yeah, don't need, I don't, I don't feel like I'm not trying to shame anyone who's in the military. Who's not like taking a stand and whatever. Cause like, I didn't do that. I mean, I waited to get the fuck out. I, you know, I like, I, uh, you know, I'm not going to call on people to do something that I didn't even have the courage to do. Um, but if, if at least go to the demonstrations, you are completely within your legal rights to go to a demonstration as an active duty person. Yeah. You can even wear your fucking uniform. If you just take a piece off, like take your name tag off or something. So you're not technically fully in uniform. Like that was the way that we got around doing that in the Iraq where you can go to a demonstration in your uniform as long as you take some shit off so it's not like full uniform or whatever. Yeah, like um, you take off the rank and the name tape and your, and your name, yeah. whatever, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. if you're in, if you're in the guard, if you're in the reserves, like go go to the demonstrations. Like the most important thing as an American that you can do right now is go to every demonstration that you can that's happening. Because the more, because yes. we need to keep, as long, if the momentum keeps up and that shit keeps up, that actually can what what make a big difference. So at minimum, if you're listening to this, please find the demonstration near you and go to it, because uh, that uh, that is what the only way we have uh, the only option we have to make a difference outside of our own you know personal yeah, actions of getting ourselves out of it. Yeah, and don't if you can, don't be afraid to speak up when you hear some fucked up shit being said. Like whether that's like with your family, like with your friend group. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you, if you feel comfortable enough in your workspace, like whatever it is, like, yeah, you know, you know, you gotta, you gotta speak up if you hear, you know, some fucked up shit being said about it. Yep. Absolutely. Nice left.